where do you laugh? Where do you find joy? And how can we get through this instead of struggling in the little time that we do have together? Hello, print friends, and welcome. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf, and I release weekly podcasts with people around the world who share our love of printmaking. If you like what we do, please rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a difference. Or just tell a print friend about the show, and they can enjoy it too. We also have a Patreon, where supporters join at tiers that start at just a dollar a month, and it really helps to keep us bringing you printmaking content every week. You also get thank yous like exclusive merch and access to our bonus content. Shop Talk with our editor, Timothy Pauschak. These are quick and dirty tips and tricks with our guests about materials, processes, business advice, and general studio nonsense. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, you can check out the link in the show notes, sign up, and hear Tim's chat with today's guest. Also, if you want to save a little cash and still support the show, you can do yearly subscriptions and receive 15% off the tier price. Printmaking forever, shun the non-believers. Hello Print Friend is brought to you by Speedball Art Products, who've been offering a diverse range of high-quality products to your practice since 1997. Products like their professional screen printing tools. Speedball believes that professional-grade quality doesn't have to ruin your budget. Their aluminum squeegees, scoop coaters, and high mesh count screens are perfectly suited to outfit your workspace without changing your books from black to red. So if you want to upgrade your space from hobbyist to pro, head on over to Speedball's website and see where you can pick up your new favorite setup. There's a link in the show notes. My guest this week is Leslie Duguid, founder of the first and only black female-owned fine art screen printing business in New York City. Leslie regularly collaboratively prints editions for artists, designers, and institutions, such as Aya Brown, Diagonal Press, and the Museum of Arts and Design. We'll talk about all the starts and restarts on her road to opening her own business, finding creative joy in your day job, making the most out of printing in your bedroom, and being present while dreaming for the future. So, without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare to do a little time traveling with Leslie Duguid. Hi, Leslie. How's it going? Hi, Miranda. I'm great. How are you? I'm really good. I am very excited to chat with you. My morning, your evening today. Um, I've been a long admirer of the work that you do and the way that you communicate it is I just adore. You know, we were talking a little bit off air about infographics, which I hope we get to dive into, but just sort of um, your internet presence, your Instagram presence, the way you communicate, the work that you do. I am just really excited to learn more about it and get to know you a little bit better. That gives me the biggest smile. Thank you so much. <laughs> I've been paused for a minute. Like sometimes I just have to regroup because everything falls apart. You know, we're printmakers. Yes. You got to jank it out of order if you're going to use it a lot. Um, you know, so summertime especially is a time for me to be aware of my environment and mm. fix things that break, which is what I've been doing. Yes, yes. I I love that. And I think that hopefully, if this global pandemic has taught us anything, it is the power of pausing because 
things were just going faster and faster and faster and faster. And now we all have had to turn inward a little bit and learn what it's like to actually spend time with our families full time and our partners and all of that and kind of reassess things. So I think what I'm going to try and take away with it is that is so important to give ourselves that space. So Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Wellness means a lot. You know, we're only going to live once and you're only going to live in this day. It's already gone. You know, I mean, for you, it's beginning, but (laughs) I'm a little shifty between us. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we dive into more questions, would you please introduce yourself a bit and let our dear listeners know who you are, where you are, and what you do. Great. Yeah. I'm Leslie Dugid. I am the printmaker behind Dugid Press. It's my fine art printing publishing platform that I started in 2017. Uh, with the happenstance of being in Brooklyn, New York, I started it in Greenpoint. Now I'm in Bedsty. Uh, that's as specific as I'll get for now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in my bedroom and that's about as much as I can print in. So I'm taking full advantage of every little square inch of space that's mine for the powers that be uh, in Do Good Press and what I can accomplish with the business. Beautiful. And then where did you grow up and what role did art play in that part of your life? I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri. And you were talking about different ways of communicating earlier and how you were giving me compliments on infographics. <laughs> I very Because, you know, sometimes I have uh, realized throughout my life that it's okay to not have the words. I often don't. Uh, sometimes there'll be strikes of lightning that make things make sense. But for the most part, I think in visuals mm. uh, and organize things in ways that can be communicated better in physical objects, uh, in print in my case. But um, yeah, the yeah, growing up in Kansas City and, and being the daughter of a journalist, that difference in vocabulary became pretty mm. strikingly obvious as a child. Um, I did have higher motor skills than my sister who is three years older is three years older. And, uh, you know, she has a little baby now who's also three and he's a big boy asking, how's it going, you know, in life. And you just notice all the differences and, and people and babies, especially when you're young enough and old enough really to communicate, um, those different forms of doing so become obvious. So I, as a kid gravitated towards visuals, but that didn't necessarily mean be an artist. Mm. I tried to Kansas City Art Institute as an illustrator, but that wasn't available. So I did printmaking uh-huh. <laughs> um, because the community was there and everybody cool was in the print shop. So I says, I would like to be to there. And you know, I was also into hip hop and like doing, um, you know, underground hip hop in Kansas City was pretty alive at the time. It was like early 2000s. And so the, the community of, of hip hop people and and printmakers really was connected in, in some internships they did early on, psychonomics, like all of it came together to make sense through just being alive in that point in time where I was at then. And I've, you know, thankfully been able to grow that network and it's uh, been, you know, a great life force to latch on to. Absolutely. And so you're, you're in Kansas City, you went to the Art Institute there you discovered printmaking, loved the community, which I feel like is just such such the a, a very classic printmaker arch, which was that like I didn't know what it was, and then I saw people who I wanted to spend time with, and I saw work that I wanted to make, and exactly. I, I knew I'd found my home, right? Which I love. It was 
Yeah. Yeah. It was also more of a digression towards the art side instead of being so illustrative and useful. Mm-hmm. My parents wanted me to be, you know, an illustrator at Hallmark. And I thought that would be a good job. You know, it's, it's headquarters is in Kansas City. So that's like a real poaching ground for them oh, to get wow. new illustrators. Stuff. So not that that's the way things work anymore. So it was kind of a pipe dream at the time even, but um, not being able to do that and saying, it's eh, f- just like, fuck you, graphic design. No, no offense, people who do that. Like, I just want to not make sense all the time, you know, yeah. uh, not necessarily be employable as a person to have to make sense, but mm. uh, to be a documentarian instead and to use what my dad did, but in a kind of art twist kind of a way was, was something I was trying to get into, but didn't know how to articulate it at the time. Yeah, definitely. And so that entrepreneurship that comes into starting Do Good Press, that runs in the family, correct? As you mentioned, your your dad was a business yeah. owner. Yeah. He's not a business owner. Oh, sorry, he, it was his, his grandfather, right? right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. My grandfather made Do Good Chemical Laboratories and Manufacturers, and that was in 1940s St. Louis. But my dad is a journalist and, you know, was a classic baby boomer to get a job right out of school and stick with it his entire <laughs> career. So he worked at the Kansas City Star in a lot of different positions, but eventually worked his way up to be wanting, being one of the senior editors. Um, and he had a column, you know, throughout my entire lifetime. So he would sometimes write about my sister and I, you know, being a dad and growing up and all the things that, you know, you can kind of have to say as a uh, black voice, you know, for reason in a very liberal atmosphere, but also like keeping it real, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't anything that, to be said about being black specifically, uh, necessarily all the time, but it was just about being a father and, um, relating that to other people that, you, you know, were parents and alive, but you know, it was also just a lot of like talk on race and how that could be like made people make more like equality easier if, if if it's a conversation to be had instead of something to to say that it's you know done and over with you know he had a lot of um and still does uh, talk on the radio often about you know race and justice in Kansas City and beyond so um but anyway he's not an entrepreneur he's a writer and my grandpa is the scientist uh, chemist who I'm influenced off of to do my own business the way he did but it's mostly saying F you to the system that's there and I want to own my own practice. And that's, uh, you know, what being an artist is all about. But yeah. as, a, as a person who's a printmaker, collaborating with people on that mentality has been really cool to see the network that comes out of it. Definitely. Do you think at all kind of growing up with a father who's sort of in the public eye, the way a journalist who has a column does and even, you know, writes about his family life that includes you, do you think that kind of positions you in a way to feel more ready or more comfortable kind of doing the art hustle that also makes one in the public eye kind of in a similar way how now with Instagram and Twitter and websites artists are kind of expected to be like here's who I am here's a little access into my life here are my thoughts as a person do you think that there's any connection there kind of in in a way it's an antithesis to the way that my dad was kind of being a journalist about the way he presented what Mm. He, and even in his book about my grandfather, like doesn't say much to anything about himself. He Uh. presents it as like, this is dad, this is doc, you know, this is not my dad. This is not my life. This is about him. And so in all of his writings, he's not the main character. He's, he's in the background, you know, to be the one who, to tell the story without bias. You kind of remove yourself. And that's what I try to do in the presentation of artists that I present and, you know, you, you let the, the points of interest, those focal vision and the direction that your 
uh, light can have on another person's story. Like you can only be the one to, to say that from your perspective. Um, certain filmmakers, my friend Eduardo Velasquez is uh, working on a film shot from his iPhone, but they're, you know, produced really well. The story is really fantastic. And it's just like his vision from his perspective is mm-hmm. what is unique. And I, I try to do that in print as well, but I have a, a, a an early Do Good and Unity edition that sums up a lot of what I was trying to communicate with being a business owner. And uh, that is a print by Hannah Bodwan that was made in 2018. It, it's just defining ethics and matter, you know, but putting those two words side by side, along with their definition, you really get a better sense of the importance of those two words and how I've, I've just been looking up words, the definition to things a lot, but like mm. it's, it makes a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. And so then where does the, the leap come from, you know, being in Kansas City, being in that hip hop scene, the art scene to Brooklyn and starting your own press and starting to work with artists? What does that arc look like? I messed up a couple times in between. <laughs> I was like, not trying to be that like connected in the long run. It, it ended up being cool, kind of. But, you know, after school, and it was, you know, living through a recession in 2008, didn't hit uh, the Midwest as hard as it did the coast. So it wasn't really time to go to New York in 2010, even though I did. Uh, I also got hit by a car and had to leave. (laughs) I worked at the Woolman Rink in in Central Park for a bit um, and shared a bunk bed, like in a tiny room and and had other... So it was like not the best living. And I was like, this is not the time for me. Like, I'm going to just retreat and hobble away because I had been hit by a car on my bike. So I was just like out of it. Anyway, uh, from rock bottom, you know, moved to Omaha slash back to Omaha. I went back and forth a couple of times before I could settle, messing up my taxes left and right. (laughs) But, uh, you know, and then you try to get credit cards to correct that and and paid it off eventually. But I messed up a lot of times Mm. when I was just desperate and young and stupid, you know, Mm. um, the system that's set up is kind of meant to prey on young people who don't know what they're doing or old people who don't know any better. But the goal of just being alive is just to not have to troubleshoot these problems that are created through these systems and institutions. So, um, trying to be a systematic person, right getting a job, sticking with it, working at Urban Outfitters in Omaha. Took a couple months to even get that job. Um, After having been an intern for free, you know, at at the Bemis Center, and that was really a great opportunity to learn how institutions are run. You know, there are big international art institutes, art institutions in the middle of the country. That's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, But I also did residencies at the Union for Contemporary Art, and I'm going to be having a show there at the end of this year. But the, you know, 2010 to 13-ish years of being in Omaha led me to create an art practice around what I could create in space that wasn't quite like polished, you know, it was like a Mm. studio in a basement and, 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 you know, working with stuff I could grab and not really like have a print shop, but I was just collaging things and uh, making stuff in my spare time. So I was otherwise like day job employed at Urban Outfitters and that took a lot of energy. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I put all my energy into Urban Outfitters and tried to get into their home office, their headquarters in Philadelphia, drove myself there a couple times. And, you know, they were nice enough to me for being, you know, stupid enough to spend all my money doing that. <laughs> and, and then they were like, okay, well, we'll just do features about you and like how creative your lifestyle is. And then we'll just like, maybe you can have a job in New York, work at this Urban Outfitters in there instead. And I was like, great. Um, so that got me back to New York and then I quit the Urban Outfitters job because it was terrible. And, but I met 
Char, who I just did a print with that is going to be released this Friday, um, while I was desperately working there and, and having a terrible time, but kind of learning a lot about what retail is and how it can be managed in spaces that were uh, highly trafficked, right? There's a lot of merchandising tricks and other things you can do and observe in spaces that are different. Um, anyway, this is all trundling along to say I, I have a lot of different types of experience in uh, selling things and making things that makes me want to promote things that I am more carefully curated around being available to certain markets and allowing the extra energy and time that I can manage to have uh, to do projects with people like Char that I think have brilliant ideas, but not a lot of um, leverage uh, in the, in the department of uh, being able to publish something beyond her own like marketplace, you know? So it's neat to give other people amplitude for sure. Absolutely. And I, I, love that story you just told because it's so important, I think, for people to hear these narratives that are, I think, and I I see some of my own narrative in it in terms of the like starting and stopping and thinking this was going to be my life and then it wasn't and then taking a chance and then going into debt and then getting like a medical setback. And like, it's, not a straight line. And and some people no have way. straight lines. Like every once in a while you just hear but oh, as my dad said, for sure. As you <sighs> say, like, yeah, like the boomers, like it was like, well, I I went to college and I worked part time at a taqueria and you know that was enough to pay my rent and my tuition. And then so I graduated without debt and just immediately got my job, which I had for 30 years and now I have a pension. You know? Oh, great. That's <laughs> nice. Die happy, I suppose. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah. And it's just so, and, and I'm someone who also has done a lot of retail and retail in situations where they actually do teach you a lot and kind of hold you to a higher expectation, right? You know, like Urban Outfitters, I've had friends who've worked there and they really do like, they're very serious about their merchandising. They're very serious about customer relations and that sort of thing. Oh, it's an honor to be shouted out for doing a great job and, and to be a merchandiser in a store. That's like a creative outlet for sure. There's a lot of belly button picking you can do around what your choices were and how people reacted to them. And I think that can be said too, of how, you know, art can exist in a home or be lived around and all the other things that don't involve trying to get somebody to buy something. They don't goddamn need. You know what I mean? <laughs> the trickery of it is stupid, but the, the talent of making things attractive, that's what I've yes. been trying to explain. Yes. I love that. The talent of making things attractive and how you can take that. And it's just these little like breadcrumbs that you pick up along the way until when you're in a situation where you're actually doing your dream, you look back and if you've had the right attitude, you can have this huge toolkit from when you weren't doing your dream, you know, that you're like, oh man, I really know how to do this now because of that weird job I had, because of that one person I met. And I just, I, I can't get enough of stories like that because it, it really drives home no matter what you're doing in your life, it's valuable. And I think people get the narrative too much that you're just waiting around for your dream to happen. And it's like every step you're taking, you're actually getting there and you're picking up tricks and you're picking up ways to deal with yourself and have emotional intelligence and all of this different things until you get there. And then you're just like, have a great foundation. So I love it. I love your story. (laughs) Thank you. But that's the thing. It's like an energy shift, you know, Mm -hmm. and it has a lot more to do with your focus and attention and where you choose to give your time. Uh, Because, you know, certain things, if you're at a job, you can't space out and think about what painting you want to make later. You know, you have to kind of stay focused on where you are and you're kind of like 
built environment of, of your physical space. So if, if you do have a day job or you think you can space out and, and have a different thing going on and multitask, it's just uh, shooting yourself in the foot to think that that's going to be anything to look back on with pride and, mm. and say that that's really a useful tool to, to use later. It's just um, the more we do, the kind of worse it gets. <laughs> <laughs> slow down one at a time. I'm bad at that, you know, but it's just a, a process working on life. For sure. For sure. Well, you mentioned in passing uh, meeting Shara and that you both are doing a print together, which you sent me sort of the mock-up for, and it looks absolutely beautiful. So I'm hoping maybe we can talk about that. Yeah. I am so proud of Shara's work and you know, her getting out of Urban Outfitters after I did, we were together there for a little bit, but I only lasted like eight months in the New York store. She's stayed with it for years and years. But uh, we connected outside in Bed-Stuy in 2019, you know, after years of not seeing each other. And she had this really amazing, um, you know, energy presence. It's really hard to miss her when she's walking down the street. So I just immediately ran up and gave her a big hug. But it was her leaving this like arts fair that was happening at Playground Coffee. Um, you know, it's just a bunch of artists, vendors selling stuff. Mm. They were all black makers too. It was really, I love going to those and supporting people and, and just asking questions and seeing what people are making and uh, really diving in. So uh, anyway, outside of this place, I saw Shar and later looked up what she had been working on. And, and that led me to the periodic table of black revolutionaries. And I was like, okay, we're going to do this at some point. I did a post about it. I like didn't say anything for a long time. And it finally came back around because while I was in the playground coffee shop, having a little time meeting people and mingling, um, especially with a woman who goes by hypothetical horror. Um, she had a daughter who she looked exactly like me when I was like seven or eight. And so that attracts me to her table, but she had all these amazing pieces that were collage paper and typewritten messages on them. And there's one that I was very attracted to. It's red and black and has a lot of Michael Jackson border artwork mm -hmm. uh, and in the middle. It's a book jacket of native son by Richard Wright. And on it, Hypothetical horror has typed, what were your dreams before someone told you no? Mm. And it's just such a beautiful message surrounded by Michael Jackson, especially, you know, <laughs> and the around, like, his whole drama, you know, so the personalization you can get out of that type of uh, connectedness in one collage piece is just so magical. So I called the number on the back after it was rearranging it uh, on the back. There's a hidden message that says, call me and tell me a time you were, you realized you were dying. Oh my uh, so I did that and uh, we've since connected, but it took her a long time to get my message, you know, and it took me a long time to find her message. So uh, recently she connected with me saying, I got your message. You know, it's doing, it's been viral on TikTok. I, I don't understand how to find anything about it, but it's on Instagram too. And it's a little story I told, but it's also her reacting to it in a way that's like super classy and very like heartfelt. Um, anyway, this whole day was so magical that it made me have to hustle to get Char's print done by equal payday, which was Tuesday. I don't know if you know about it. Do you know what that day is? No. It is the day that black women make the same amount as white men. And it takes like 579 days to make what white men make in 365. It's something oh like that. Oh my gosh. So it's like, it's like, um, that's the cycle. Like if, if, if it was the pay for black women in a year, 
I get yes. it. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and you can say, oh man, and all these other sad stories about how that comparison is fucked up because it is. <laughs> <laughs> but if you only have one life to live and as a 34 year old, who's been struggling at this point, you know, to, to just get to this far. And now I feel a little bit more stable, but the earnings I was able to make in my younger years when I was more capable of doing physical tricky stuff to really manage a lot in a short amount of time, I realized that time is just more valuable for some people than others because it's less valuable when you have less life to live. I mean, wait, it's more valuable when you have less life to live mm. and you know, black women live to shorter lifespans. We have to work a lot more. And so where do you laugh? Where do you find joy? And how can we get through this instead of struggling in the little time that we do have together? Um, so hypothetical horror inspired me to kind of remember those thoughts, especially on her like call to action around realizing when you were dying, you know, mm. and um, working with Shar and all of these, uh, mainly, you know, black women, black femmes, just people that don't define themselves in ways that are historically marked for some reason, you know, it's like, uh, easy to miss over them in history in some cases, but altogether on this, uh, periodic table, it's such a poetic way to express like these key figures in elemental form, um, matched up with metals and elements that make our life unique is happy for it. Yeah. Yeah. And it looks just absolutely beautiful in terms of the the color theory that you have in it and the way things are sort of separated out. And as you said, it's it's an infographic, right? I mean, the periodic table of elements is maybe the first infographic that some people are exposed to because it's, you know, the way that the uh, elements are organized, and organized by color and kind of an order and all of that. And so can you talk a little bit about the way you went about populating it with names um oh i didn't do any of it no i just did the color dorkery you oh, know really like, gotcha so shard yeah. shard did the um organize the names all of it she did the oh, names wow. she organized people into spaces and made the gradients even the way they are too but it took you know me to make it printable so this isn't even the separated version is the one i showed you it's just yeah. the mock-up of basically what she gave me but i was sizing it to be 16 by 20 at first and realized i could make it a little bigger because I want people to get up on it and really look at the names and have a presence so that I don't have to make it insanely small. You know, I, I try to max things out as big as I can when I know there's going to be tiny details to really sneak up on you. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all hundred percent char and I really like publishing things the way that they are. Uh, when people have a specific vision about something that's a already been produced, she's made this as a show, um, in a different location before, but the you know relationship between technology and I'm reading off her thing. It says technology and antiquity, technology and antiquity throughout modernity. You know is revealed through the way that these two things line up uh, because you're still getting the atomic uh, average atomic mass and and the atomic number is the mm-hmm. same in each case. But the information is what's changed, and so it's really neat. Yeah. Sick. That's beautiful. And so that'll be released this Friday. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to do it and go to the Met and just have like a really meditative day. Tanikia Words print. Uh, we were there. We are here. We are in the future is also on view. Yes. Uh, not also. It's just on view at the Met. It, it's in a revolution and resistance print show. Um, that's not the name of it. I can get you the actual name of the show, but it's just, you know, such an honor to have all these things happening at the same time that I'm trying to take it all in and uh, not yeah. freak out with trying to keep up with production at the same time, you know, make some space. Right. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, that's a, uh, 
a print that you made, right? So you have a print that you pulled on exhibition at the Met right now. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and I think Crazy. It's, it's through uh, January 17th, I believe, the show is up. So um, certainly if anyone is in New York, go see the show. Uh, it looks beautiful. Yeah, lots of lots of great names and great art in that exhibition. I'm Yeah, there's like, it's, it's overwhelming. I really need to go like soak it all in, but I, you know, haven't had a ton of time to research. Like this is what's happening in it. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Revolution resistance and activism. So it's a lot of prints that are pulled from their permanent collection. uh, One of which is Tanikia words. Mm. And that I, you know, published last year. Yeah. That was 2020 at the beginning of it. Mm -hmm. uh, Along with four other black women of print that were do good and unity artists. But the you know goal was just to get money to Black Women of Print to help get them off the ground. I really wanted to support this organization and allow more people to get that visibility that can allow that platform to really take off uh, and be useful. But yeah, Taniki is just a genius and super insightful. And all of these other Black women are so far out when it comes to their like scope on what their impacts can do. Uh, you know, short term to long term, it's it's great to see and work with other artists that have that like special ability to time travel. Uh, I, I feel like I do that a lot. It, mm. it takes a long time for me to figure out like, oh, that, <laughs> that makes sense now, five years later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in terms of what you actually produce at Do Good, I'd like to, to talk about your use of the open edition in Do Good in Unity. And, mm. you know, how a lot of publishers, they're, you know, very, very strict, like limited, like limited edition and this many printers proofs and this many artists proofs, but you do open editions. Um, and so I just wonder if you could kind of talk to your philosophy behind that and how that works for you. I've done the math on making sure it's worth it for me to do at the scale that I can advertise, which is not at all really, you know, <laughs> I have, you know, different events and venues that I'll bring do good in unity too, but for the most part, I can't allow it to get to be so big that it disallows me from doing editions because I'm going to be teaching it um, Cooper Union this semester and looking for a place to move my shop and have my auto press in when I can actually use Do Good and Unity platform as a teaching tool that I, you know, set it out to be. But, you know, when Aaron Welsh approached me about the project in 2000, beginning of 2018, maybe late 2017, I was skeptical because I can't handle that open editions for, um, you know, to fund nonprofits, like I need to for profit my business over anyone else's. Otherwise, I can't do anything. You know, don't forget that. So, yeah, open editions are never a good idea when it comes to thinking about the production involved with making things that are also going to be donated to charity. You know, so that really is just putting me at a negative. Um, so last year, I finally wised up and asked French Paper for a paper donation, and they generously gave me like what I needed, and that was fantastic. Um, so with that, I was able to give more to the you know institutions that I donate to. Otherwise, in previous years, I was able to give less because so much of the production needed to be accommodated with funds from print sales. So I can't donate 100% of what I make ever. I have done that in some years, but then I was like, this isn't going to work. No way. Um, so yeah, I have to cover my costs when it comes to shipping materials, paper, ink, like my time I can donate. And you know, when I have helpers involved, I have to accommodate them and make sure they're paid. Cause I don't like people working for free, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I do appreciate being able to teach people and to let people do bartering, you know, in different ways so that it doesn't have to be something that they shouldn't be accounting for in, in some other ways, you know? So, 
Um, there's a lot of, you know, flexibility you can have as an individual that you cannot have as a bigger business that I'm trying to take advantage of and learn the best routes for me as an individual to proceed. But I for sure will not do any, that's why I capped it in 2020. I was like, this is the end of do good and unity because <laughs> I do want to just have that number 13 prints, you know, as a series be that archived number and, and what that represents for, you know, a fuck you to Donald Trump and all the things he represented and uh, people, businesses, other things that got shut down, you know, because of his uh, just, just poor governing, really. I don't know how else yeah. to describe it, but, uh, you know, and all, all the ways that led to the pandemic getting worse and, and the ways that we're left with uh, the mess to clean up now. But um, what I can do as an individual, I hope other businesses can do to me as well. So I try to be an example in giving what I can with what I can produce uh, with the labor of my hands, you know, to different mm-hmm. businesses. Why Rainbow came to me and asked to do a video project. That's great. I, you know, otherwise don't know if I'd had the visibility to get on their radar to, to do stuff if I hadn't already been uh, donating to them and being in their radar in that capacity. But as an artist, I think we have a lot of tools at our disposal mm-hmm. to, to fix the problems that we see as, as missing in our society, you know? Um, and part of that is mutual aid, but part of that is just mutual respect. As, as a maker, I appreciate having other clients that want to have a Black woman making their work equitably in a space that's not going to be doing damage to the environment and other things. Like, I'm tiny, but I'm at least clean, you know? <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of waste that goes on material-wise if you try to do it all. But um, yeah, open editions I can only handle if I can't, if I don't have to make <laughs> a bajillion D without space to do it in, you know, there's, there's economics to consider. And I would like to advertise and do more wholesale things with that and get them really out there in classrooms and homes and, you know, protests and parades and all the places that posters can be. But um, I don't have the resources at the point to, to do the the bigger picture that I I can see later, but Mm. I'm set up to get those ducks in a row. (laughs) Definitely. And what you're saying, I think, about how doing projects like that, particularly when you're kind of early on in your business, they really do help expand your network and get on people's radars, as you say. And so I think that there is a time and a place for that, you know, when you're in your like really early hustle and Mm -hmm. and that can really help. And I think that's a really good lesson for people to hear who are kind of thinking about maybe starting their careers or their business or their shop or whatever it is. Is that, and then you get to, but you also get to say enough is enough, right? Like, um, I mean, I, I'm yeah. done making more of them. I can account for 13 decently well, but more than that, it's just going to be a nightmare for me to have to uh, organize. I'm, I'm not organized enough to do more than that, but I can continue to produce the ones that I have totally. made. You know, I can make a bunch of them, which I have, but yeah, having one of them in the Met is great advertising. You know what I mean? Like, that's Absolutely. like, yeah, they bought it for more than what it was like on the website for, thank God. But I gave all that money to Tanikia because I didn't deserve it. You know, that's all hers. <laughs> I really appreciate what, what she's done with it. And I want Black Women of Print to reap all the benefits of her hard work making that making that thing go. Yeah, yeah. It was, it's an amazing print. And I just saw the other day that, yeah, Tanikia had posted that it's on exhibition at the Met, which just feels 
so good to kind of see from its it's when it first came out and broke Instagram and was everywhere, you know, to yeah. be, to knowing that it's in an archived collection now where it will live as, uh, as an artifact of this time and of what was happening in 2020 and of people's thoughts and feelings. That's just, it's such good news for, for print and for everyone. Yeah. Hooray! Yay! <laughs> so you'd mentioned that you're right now you're kind of working in your own space, but you are raising funds towards giving Do Good a home. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you saw in my infographics, like what I'm capable of producing in a space, basically, you know, tiny little bedroom. So to scale up that model and to come up with a bigger business plan around it has to be met with some uh, guidance around efficiency standards in a space that I can handle the bottom line on, you know, so it's, it's really important for me to keep my overhead expenses low so that I can stay wiggly. I don't want to have to nail myself into printing myself to death, you know, yeah. to be strapped to the press all the time and just print all the time so that you can make rent. And that's just no fun. Um, so like my clients do, like my artists do, they did diversify their income. You know, they don't just paint, you know, some of them are also art handlers on the side. Some of them also work for galleries in different ways. And, um, and, and what I do is, you know, I, I work for different artists, but I sometimes just have to go teach, you know, so it's important to be able to do that in spaces you're comfortable doing it in. I don't want to have a big mess and a bunch of random people in my space ever. You know, it's a laboratory is what I'm trying to produce. But that being a space for people to see and to learn from is going to be uh, the majority of how I want to spend my time. I just don't want to do it in places that aren't my workshop, but I want to be able to um, share that with individuals who can come and go and work with me um, on projects that are meaningful. But it's, it's just hard to find the space that's affordable to do that kind of thing in. Right. I mean, I think that it comes as a surprise to no one that rent in New York is a huge barrier for artists to finding space to work in, you know, just like literal spaces in like square meters, square feet. But I think also just finding a place where they can be comfortable and work and make it their own and not worry about having to pull up and move everything in three years when the rent goes up again. Yeah. Yeah, no way. I'm like, got to stay put for at least five. But being in this space for two years at this point makes me realize that it was only a year ago that I really got set up. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. if you've got to take a year to for real build out, not that that year wasn't productive. It was also super productive, but it's always, you know, tightening the bolts and polishing the whistles and, you know, getting everything in super tip top condition. I live down the street from Home Depot. So there's oh, a lot nice. of trips. It's an yeah. artist's dream. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I want to stay in the neighborhood, you know, and I've found places in the neighborhood, but they, you know, psyched my mind when I was about to, you know, go further. And they're like, we're not going to get you on the lease. You're sketchy. And it's like, I'm not actually sketchy. I'm just not alive in your system. I get that <laughs> it's hard to trust, but I'm going to go back on press because I don't have time to try to meet your standards or register to be black in a city that otherwise doesn't support people if they, you know, hustle in a way that's under the radar. It's just uh, depressing, you know, to be honest, but it's, it's not worth stopping over. I'm not going to stop and try to fit the system now that I'm like doing it successfully from my bedroom. It's just, you know, difficult to make space at all. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have advice for young printmakers on doing professional grade work kind of on a budget or in a smaller space? Like how do you make it? I mean, work work? forever. Yeah. I don't think you have to necessarily 
necessarily be tied to any one space as being that holy, you know, but I do like having that studio in, in motion. Like sometimes the train is the best place to draw. Uh-huh. Uh, so, sometimes you got to like wait till you get a moment to be in a park to be by yourself and, and whip out a book and that like learning experience is kind of a studio practice. So um, if, if you're beyond school, if you don't have a studio the way you may be used to and are finding, you know, your space uncomfortable because you don't have a place to make a mess, just understand that sometimes, you know, you have to take that space to be uh, nomadic. But mm. in other ways, like, for sure, having that dream of what you can produce, write it down, like make sure that you have a way of documenting what your creative thought is, uh, making your mark in whatever capacity and, and keeping those notes handy so that you can develop those ideas further later when you don't necessarily have that creative energy. It's yeah. going to be really important to record keep. You know what I mean? Like I was so creative when I was in my 20s, but I don't care to be now. I care to be efficient. Yeah. <laughs> and, work smarter as a printer is actually a really fantastical art form that uh, is fun to exploit. Yes, but also magical to chase. Like there's a lot of uh, beautiful things that go on in this print. You can't see. Um, yeah. Char's work is, is all text, but you know, text art is, has to be perfect. There's not yeah. really any room at all for this dot didn't show up. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest thing on publishing is I'm especially trying to be on P's and Q's, but anyway, yeah, being transient isn't a bad thing. You just have to be good at documenting however you care to be creative. For sure, for sure. Yeah, and I'm I'm identifying a lot with what you say about that difference between being in your 20s and your 30s. So I'm 36. So I couldn't remember for a second. I'm, I'm, <laughs> it's so like, yeah, I'm, so I'm 36. and I definitely feel that need to be a more precious with my energy. Um, and, yeah. and, you know, and as you say, kind of sort of st- dreamlining things and understanding where, what are you doing? What am I doing with my time? And exactly what am I doing with my time? And it's like, in my 20s, I had all this spare energy for like time leakage, you know, that it could just oh, seem yeah. like it could brain, be like, like yeah. some brain cells. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just burn off some brain cells, chase my tail for a bit. But now in my mid 30s, yeah. it's different. It really is. So it's, it's, it's really interesting to hear. Yeah, you've had the same experience of like, okay, I want to do this thing, but I need to actually mind my P's and Q's a bit in a way that, you know, at 22, it was like, I have endless energy and I'm never going to die. So who cares? You know? Yeah. And it's important to live, you know, that's a great experiment to learn is just seeing your boundaries and limitations, you know, find them for sure. But if you don't, you might regret not trying when you had the opportunity. Mm hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And then and talking to women and mentors who are in their 50s, you know, they still talk about their 30s as a time for experimentation and how, you know, that's when I could try and start my own business. That's when I could try and uh, go live in another country, you know, because it's it's still a time with a lot of freedom. And it's just so interesting to hear that arc and so, it's so important how much I really value having women of all ages in my life, like to bounce ideas off of and to come to understand like, what, what is this crazy thing called life? 
yeah, it's short. We're going, you know, you're not going to be in your twenties again, but it's like the, uh, years of being at your peak physical fitness might be behind you, but what can you accomplish while you're the, you know, what you've got left? You know what I mean? Like, unfortunately, probably cancer rates are only going to increase. So the, you know, reality that we're going to have to face is a healthcare system that's already failed, Mm -hmm. but it's only going to get harder to survive. And there's so many different polarizations that are kind of pulling the median way of life apart. Um, As an artist, always kind of living on the edge, it never quite added up for the lifestyle that I found most comfortable. Even sleeping on a futon. I can't sleep in normal beds anymore because my body is so used to the lumps that my futon, you know, settles <laughs> me into. So it's like, it, it, it's, you know, best best case scenario, I'm like calm enough at, at night, you know, after working all day to knock out in, in, in a time when I can like wake up in the morning and then feel refreshed. But, um, you know, it's, it's normal for me to have those stresses on, on existing because I've been in a pinch for a long time. Mm. But we people that have otherwise been comfortable are made uncomfortable. That's like a human, human rights issue. You know what I mean? Like there's <laughs> different thresholds for what comfort looks like. And I, I don't understand the um, need to equal everything out because it's never going to be. Yeah. And so there's, a, there's just no need to, to try to, to achieve to a certain level. Cause I'm never going to be a millionaire. You know what I mean? So how can we make this existence as comfortable as possible? Mm. But <laughs> And being so nomadic for so long and now like in needing to be a little bit less so, I need to find a space to put my giant exposure unit and to use the things that I've got and to get all the people together um, is necessary. I have to be uncomfortable in my current space to make this bigger space possible. Otherwise, I'll stay it. What's the point? Why, why move? If you don't have to, I'm going to just be complacent. Like otherwise on the internet, like, but if, if I'm hiding from the internet, it's because I'm doing ridiculous stuff in real life. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Cause I feel like Ugh. you've, you've spoken before about finding that balance between documenting and establishing an online presence and then actually focusing on making a good outcome, like a good print, a good product. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, how do you go about finding that balance? Oh, it takes all the focus in the world. And it takes not a care in the world about, is this fun? Is this not, this is my favorite part. This is my least favorite part. There's not really a favorites to be had, you know, you're just doing your job and that's like raising a child in a way, you know, like (laughs) you don't have to love your children. You just have to make sure that they survive long enough to take (laughs) care of you. (laughs) A good outlook. I'm glad to not be a parent, but it was apparent to me as a kid that my mom found me the favorite, you know, over my sister who was, uh, really great, very happy, right? As a child that clashed, you know, she and my mom clashed older sister and, and, uh, whatever mother daughter syndrome kind of thing happens. Um, what was the question? I, I got lost in my family. No, no, I love it. I love it. So it was just about finding the balance between like, when are you documenting and oh. you know, showing people what you're doing in a way to gain interest and accolades and attention and all the oh. internet stuff we have to do versus I have to sit down and make a really nice addition right now. Yeah. How does anybody do it in real time? I can't. I'm months behind on posting. I've made like five or six editions in this like silent time since the subliminal show. Like um, I, I've been very productive, but I can never show things while they're being made because the artist has to see and approve everything first. Right. That's number one. But number two, sometimes it's for shows that happen way later. And so it's just 
takes a minute, but documenting everything as you go and, and not caring about what other people think in time, you know, makes it harder to care when you can post because it seems arbitrary <laughs> now that like, I've already enjoyed having this like beautiful print in my eyesight for the last, you know, five months or a oh, couple yeah. weeks or whatever it is. But it's hard to care to share because I'm so used to hiding what I'm working on. Also working in print shops for so long, like there's beautiful stuff all over the place. You can't take pictures of that. No way. Um, but you are making work that's going to go in museums and, and, and you know, world-class galleries and maybe just hidden into rich people's homes or storage units or whatever, but it's still just magnificent to live around art. I can't stress that enough. It's just brings a certain type of energy that doesn't come through any other type of community. Um, but it is what you, it is what it is. You know, you make it what it is. And I worship things that aren't quite uh, physically valuable all the time. I put value in them because I worship these precious objects, but they don't necessarily imply like valuable wealth status is worth a bajillion dollars and I'm not going to try to sell it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love what you said there about the things that art brings you, brings a lived human experience, having it in your world doesn't come through any other form of communication. I just think that's a beautiful way of putting that because art is communicating, you know, in a fundamental level. Oh, yeah. And I think people really feel, particularly people who aren't in the arts and don't spend a lot of time thinking about it, they think it is this like strange, other, fancy, ephemeral, philosophical thing that they can't understand and that is just for rich people and people who go to museums. And it's really like, no, like it's visual communication. It's, it's, and even abstract is visual communication. It's, it's, it's so much more fun to be abstract, isn't it? Open ended. Exactly. And it's like, I love that. Like I, some of my favorite, favorite artists or, or abstract artists because of that, that way that it, it's like, no, I'm going to be all right brain. I'm going to make you feel things without even showing you anything. It's so cool. But I, I do think that it is, fundamentally at its core, a way of one human making something to be consumed by other humans. And, yeah. and it's, it's just an incredible way to connect, to connect across space and time and all of it. So yeah, I, oh I love gosh. that. Time travel. Totally. You're so on with that one. It's great to see the difference in opinion from one point to another in time, but to make that mark and to have that timestamp on prints, especially, then you can really go back and see the um, a technology that was available at the time, things in the 90s, I can see the difference in, in mm. how they were produced versus today. But also, that's just an archival aging thing. You know, you can see that the, the timestamp on stuff because of uh, its freshness. But you know, oil paint and oil inks and stuff are totally different. Those do different things too. But uh, the, yeah, how, how things hold up over time is a really beautiful uh, ephemeral quality that changes a bit. But the, the beauty of print and the thing I'm very attracted about it is that like century element of, of really trying to make things last at least a hundred years. Yeah. Because I'm I want to look, not that I'll be alive, but I want people to look back and see the things I can do with my hands and the people that I can work with through my own magic. Um, and that all is, you know, a very closed circuited thing. It's just because I don't advertise, you know, uh, relative to how things are normally done on the internet these days, you know, you can advertise all day long and get customers and sell stuff. But if you're just selling ideas in, in a form to 
grow identity, you know, as a curator, I'm growing an identity by having Char's work related to Royals, you know, and they're not, but Royal Jarman and Char Jaray couldn't be further opposite, but I'm putting them together in my curated selection of editions that I've made, you know, uh, that just goes to show what I can publish. But with even the clients that select me, I am super grateful to the variety of people that choose to work with Do Good Press. It's very cool when you can step back and see that, like, I don't have to try to be diverse. It just naturally happens. Mm. You know, people want to work with me. And so it's an equal mix of uh, colors, but it's also just like the different, uh, the ages, the different like ranges of people in their careers. Like I will consider everything. I can't necessarily work with every single body, but I do really love the variety of people that are out there. Yeah. And speaking of time traveling, do you have a vision for do good in five or 10 years that, that you are kind of projecting out there that you want to see happen? I mean, I think just I'm already there and that's not a right answer. You know, like in my head, I'm already there, but in my physical reality, I'm not. So in my head where I am, where I will physically be in five years is in a storefront that's you know, relatively small compared to the larger workspace in the back. You know, the front has got a lounge area. It's kind of set up like a small bookshop, but with prints on the walls and a few zines out and about. There's someone in the front table who's working on a project, finishing some additions for me and touching things up. But in the back, I'm working with a different uh, set of two assistants on an addition. I've proofed it out, small scale, and I'm working with the artist to select some colors. There's some assistants cleaning screens for me while I wine and dine the artists and try my best to uh, get what they want done. And, you know, in between colors, we'll sit and chat, but you know, they, they, the artist comes and goes, but my assistants are really my right hands. And I physically can't keep doing what I'm doing here much longer. And so that's another reason why I'm very stressed out is because it's just part of my body. You know, I've had to yeah. take some breaks. Uh, just can't physically handle it anymore. It's like thousands of pulls, hundreds of thousands of pulls, you know, that I'm doing on these prints, but it's to make a mark to last a century at least. So uh, the things that I'm producing are going to put me down in history. I already see that I've made lifetime accomplishment goals like already, but what I want to do in five years is to continue what I started just Mm -hmm. in a place where it's sustainable. I can't keep this up. Definitely. And that's a huge part of printmaking that people don't talk about a lot I found is that the really the repetitive action, you know, whether you're carving wood or moving giant lithostones around or pulling large silk screens where you have to have the squeegee at the perfect angle and it has to have the exact right amount of pressure over and over and over again for, I think you said for, yeah, just was it 15 colors on your print you're doing with Char? This one's 10, 10, yeah. 10, but so, still, yeah, okay, yeah, 10 in an addition of 50, you said, yeah, yeah, so, I mean, that's, and you're just doing that all yourself, it really, in a weekend, mind you, you know, right. it takes a while to plan it, it takes a while to have this idea, do the separations a whole different day, but, like, the production is relatively quick, you know, so that gives me some recovery time in between printing, but then I have to do, you know, communication work with future editions, and do the separations work and, and do projects with other people that ask, you know, so it's great to hustle in all these different ways, but it can be done more efficiently. I see that. Yeah. And, and I think also when you start to expand and you get assistance, there's also that community building and also that knowledge sharing, you know, where you oh, can, I love like, that. yeah, you I can, can just show other people what I'm doing better. <laughs> you That's can, what I can. 
you can pass some of this knowledge on to other people who are going to carry it forward. And I don't know, I, there's something powerful in that for sure. Yeah, I really want to be mutually respectful to artists that help me and artists I'm working with and for so that it can be that neutral playing ground of people knowing their spot, knowing their space to get shit done, you know? It's not always about like, this is going to be your name on the print printer. You know, I don't really want that spotlight. I just mm-hmm. want to be paid my worth and I can determine what worth that is because I'm a professional and I'm the owner of my own space shop, you know, space, not yet, but you know, that's in my head. But the, the goal is just to be able to, you know, grow what I've done already and to keep it in an in a economical, smart sense so that I don't have to shackle myself into doing things that aren't fun. You know, like I only want to do stuff because it's worth it. I don't want to do stuff because I have to, you know, financially, it's not a good idea to be desperate, but I also don't rely on the bank system to do that credit stuff. You know, I didn't have any debt when I graduated from school, but I still can't have credit cards because I just don't trust those institutions because they've bitten me in the ass too many times in the past. I'm on the up and up now, but it's still just like a system I don't want to get further into. And I don't want to get assistance from the government because that's another, you know, can of worms that I don't have time to research to confidently go into. Um, But, you know, I can work really hard. I can save a bunch. Uh, GoFundMe is pretty stagnant, but I'm not going to give up on it. (laughs) Do you you have a GoFundMe right now going on for your space? Yeah, I started it on my birthday, which felt special. Uh, It was also the day I released uh, Looking Back to Find a Way Forward. It's the print that says a black woman was exploited today. Um, But I started my GoFundMe that day so that I could help fund uh, you know, getting a space and, and having places to work, but I need like $80,000. You know, I've, I've reduced it. I've changed the number a couple times, but the math on what I need is like an extra zero on anything I can accomplish on my own. So it's just taken a lot of additions this whole year and projects that I can collaborate with and, and bigger clients that are going to build up to that level, but yeah. it's just taking longer than I thought it would. So Absolutely. it's fine. Well, we can, we can certainly uh, put the GoFundMe in the show notes to this. Um, yeah, because so- I can't get a space until I have that income. You know, I need yeah. more money to have that three months to build out or, you know, time and space to get the equipment I need to put in the space to confidently start production and all the other ducks in a row. But I also have so many additions to accomplish beforehand and school's going to start soon. So it's, uh, it's always, you know, million, million things to organize, but absolutely, you know, that's being a, a small business owner. I have, I have heard <laughs> for sure. I love it. I would way prefer to be managing these crazy problems than to be, you know, stuck printing for somebody else again. But that's just at this point in my career, I tried to go back to just printing for someone else and can't, uh, it's just, doesn't add up. So I I have to, you know, go full throttle in the direction I started in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think that that is a beautiful space to wrap up our chat. Um, And can you please let people know where they can find you online and out in the world? And yeah. The internet on my website is called Do Good Press. And that's spelled D-U dash good, G-O-O-D, press.com. And that is where you can find editions for sale. You can find selected clients I've worked with. You can see my statistics of what I've created in the last four full years of business. Mm -hmm. But I am happy to share more about me. I've got my CV up there too, some full information about myself. But for the most part, you know, and you can connect with me. Get, you know, ask me to print something. Ask me some advice. I got tips to share. It takes me a while to get back to you in emails. (laughs) 
But yeah, I also get a lot of like cease and desist stuff from from spam all over the place. Trolls <laughs> constantly. People hit me up. I would love to talk to you. Totally, and see all the great infographics on your website too. Oh yeah, and yeah, Instagram is just at Do Good Press. No dash there. Just at D U Good Press. You know, so that's where I'm posting new news and interesting information. You know, fun stuff like that. Excellent. Well, I'll put links to that in the show notes. And um, thank you so much, Leslie, for this chat. It was wonderful to talk. Thank you so much, Miranda. Yeah, keep a lookout for uh, Shara Jurette's uh, edition. It's going to be really beautiful. Uh, I mispronounced her name earlier, I think. How do we say it? Char? Yes. Keep a lookout for Char Jurette's edition. Uh, she's an Afrofractalist. And I'm going to be yeah i do editions pretty seasonally but this is the summer summer print that's excellent beautiful and you're gonna stick around for another 10 minutes to do a little shop talk is that correct dude i'm so excited about that ready to go excellent all right thank you well that's our show for this week join me again next week when my guest will be susan rostow founder of akua inks We'll talk about how early childhood experimentation in the kitchen and lack of options for printing safely while pregnant led her to produce the now wildly successful line of water-based inks. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing by Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week. <laughs>